This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Twitter game of the week is a battle of the undefeateds in Denver. The Vancouver Stealth, well, they laid an absolute egg at home and dropped to 0-4. The 20-goal plateau is a number four teams have hit already this year. And Terry Foy has started up the lacrosse in the Olympics train once again. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Other topics of discussion this week, early challenges, maybe some possible suspensions, and a lot of WLA, BCJ, and Senior B news to come your way. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can fire me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on Twitter at off the crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. Do we start with Vancouver or do we wait? Unfortunately, we've had this position far too many times and... It's really tough to watch sometimes, and it's tough not to just absolutely call everybody out because I've done that before and done it with other teams before. But what I saw in the first half of that game Saturday night could very well have been the worst half of lacrosse I have ever witnessed by a team. It was one of those halves where nothing could go right for the Vancouver Stealth. And you have to hand it to Brad Chowner and play-by-play man Jake Elliott for doing such a professional job at calling that game. Because when it was 17-1 to and the route was clearly on, They could easily have have let that broadcast go. But, surprisingly, much like the fans in Vancouver at the game, Elliot and Chowner did a great job. I just called Jumbo Elliot. Don't know why that happened. I was using last names. But Jumbo and Brad did a wonderful job keeping that game entertaining for what it was. But on the field, nothing went right for Vancouver. And it's just been that kind of season for the Vancouver Stealth and especially for their offensive guys. And especially for a guy like Reese Dutch, who still only has one goal on the season. On a night where everything went wrong, Reese Dutch had zeros across the board, three shots on net, six off, two loose balls, and nine turnovers. Now, this isn't a rag on Reese Dutch. I'm just highlighting how bad of a night it was 
for the Vancouver Stealth. It didn't help that they lost three guys by half due to game misconduct. However, I applaud those gentlemen's efforts to not only try and spark their team, stand up for their teammates as well. But when I watch Reese Dutch, and having watched Reese Dutch for the better part of his pro career, he doesn't seem like the same Dutchie of old. And I know he had um, some work on his leg done in the offseason. I believe it was um, Achilles or ankle surgery, something along those lines. But he doesn't seem to have that same power, strength, agility to get underneath like he used to. Maybe defenders are playing him different. But he doesn't seem to be like the Reese Dutch of old. It also doesn't help that of those six shots that were off net, I would say three quarters of those shots were deflected or blocked and never actually got on target. Not not him missing the net, but because it was blocked, tipped, whatever. And that continues to happen for East Dutch. And Jake had mentioned it at one point during that game, and and they commented about it and said, another blocked shot on a shot from Reese Dutch. But another thought that came from that game was... In that opening quarter quarter where it was, what, 11 nothing after one? Um, sorry, 10 nothing after one? I don't know how many offensive shifts the Vancouver Stealth truly had. Like, quality five-on-five shifts. Toronto had the ball for pretty much the first two minutes of the game. And then every time Vancouver would get it, they would try and push it in transition, and a transition guy would take a shot and would go back the other way, or they would throw it away, or they wouldn't get a quality offensive possession because it took them so long to get over half and get settled. Maybe, maybe a full minute, maybe three at most, of offensive full five-on-five time in that first quarter. Not going to win in many games. A lot of people say, you know what, well, it would be great if they could win a face-off. Yeah, that's probably true. Brad Cree went 14 of 20 at the dot. It was just an all-round bad night. So where does this team go? What is next for the Vancouver Stealth? They don't have a first-round pick still till 2020. So... Not exactly a whole lot of draft stock to move around and get people. They don't have a first or second round pick next year. They don't pick until the third round. So the future doesn't look bright. They don't have, they have some good young talent. I wouldn't say they are booming with youth because, again, haven't had a first round pick in a few years, and the first rounder, or sorry, the first pick they took this year was Ryan Fournier, and been pleasantly pleasantly surprised. Fournier has actually been a bright spot 
for Vancouver in transition. Three goals and an assist, taking some draws. But again, they drafted a player that kind of fits a lot of their other players. A two-way guy, utility guy, but not a dominant force as a draft pick. So does GM Doug Locker maybe start trying to trade some guys? Well, let's look to their roster. You could probably get some assets for Matt Beers, but he's your captain, a firefighter locally in BC, probably not a guy you're going to trade. You could maybe trade O'Doherty. He's getting a little older, but he is a great young American defenseman. Um, Seattle-based, but probably don't want to get him. That guy has been with your club since Everett. Uh, Cliff Smith. Uh, he's getting on in his career, uh, has been used sparingly by the Stealth. You're not, probably not going to trade him. Uh, I just kind of talked about how Reese Dutch isn't the Reese Dutch of old. You probably could have gotten more value from him, or you definitely could have gotten more value for Reese Dutch three years ago, but they were never making that trade three years ago. Uh, they just brought in Brandon Goodwin. He's already been east and back west again. He, he probably doesn't have much of a market. Corey Small and Logan Schuss may be your two best assets. Uh, along with Justin Salt. Uh, those are three guys. But again, this is the problem, unfortunately, with Vancouver. And and while I, maybe naively at the time, I can say that, said Doug Locker needs to be building this team of BC guys, bring guys back home, in which he did. Most of their team is built up of either guys who are from Vancouver or the province of British Columbia, or have relocated here. They don't have too many fly-ins. And the guys that they do, a lot of them have kind of relocated Ty Belanger for one. But in doing that, what happens is, is now you have a Western-based team that wherever you trade them, most of the guys are going to need to be flown in. And when you get to that point, most National Cross League teams now are trying to, you know, minimize minimize costs. And they kind of have their eyes set moving forward. They don't want to be making too many changes. So I truly don't know what Doug Locker can do. Essentially, he's painted himself into a corner. And he's already gone through Dan Perot. He's brought in Batley, and Batley has been doing the best that he can with what he's been given. And I don't know if there is a disconnect between the players, the coaches, the management, but there is a rift somewhere within that culture. And it's been there for a long time. Yes, they made the playoffs last year. They finished second. They had home playoff game. Great. But they have regressed, as Tyson Geick used the word, so quickly that it's mind-boggling to figure out how it happened so fast. It's unfortunate that a lot of the pointing and blame will go to the goaltenders because they have just not been good at all this year. They brought in Brody McDonald. They thought he would maybe be a guy that never got, you know, like many. A guy that was a perennial backup, never really got a fair shake as a starter. You can bring him to your team. Maybe he earns that spot. Beats out Ty Belanger. Well, you had Ty Belanger, who was playing really, really well at the end of last year, got you to that playoff spot. 
along with Corey Small. And now he has regressed again, to use the word, back to the kind of visions I had of Ty Belanger. And the run that this team went on last year, where they ran four of five into the W column to end the season and make the playoffs, could very well have to happen again. The silver lining, I almost said the good thing, but it is a good thing. The silver lining for the Vancouver Stealth right now is that they are only one game out of a playoff spot as it stands. Calgary, 1-3. Vancouver, 0-4. It's going to be a dogfight. As I expected and as often seems the case in the National Lacrosse League West Division, that there is going to be a dogfight and there could be a quick fix for Vancouver. We don't know what was said. I'm sure there's rumors and we can all speculate and we've all been there that have been there. They had a closed-door meeting after that game. 40 minutes, as it were, reported. And things were probably said. Maybe some people got some things off their chest. Maybe they figured it out. Maybe they've just said, screw everybody, let's just go win it all. And they'll be like the Cleveland Indians in Major League. I guess there's only one thing left to do. What's that? Win the whole thing. Yeah. Yes! It could happen. It could happen. We have seen stranger things in the world of lacrosse. What, Calgary went 1-6 to start the year a few years ago? New England was 0-3. Both teams would go on to make the playoffs. Things can happen. But I think a lot of things need to change in that organization for a tap because it's just, it's too much has gone on. And not enough positive change has been made. And... Short of firing the coaching staff, relieving Doug Locker of his job and his duties, I'm not sure what Denise Watkins can do as an owner. So, there has been not many words out of the Vancouver Stealth camp since they go east to take on the Buffalo Bandits this weekend. And we will see what that meeting and what their team nucleus can bring. Because that's a massive game for them. Because like I said, they're just one game out of a playoff spot. So as dire as it may seem, you go on a run four or five, but all of that behind you, forget about it. And just go play. So we'll see. I'm interested to see what comes out of that closed-door meeting and um, what this team can show. 
Jake Elliott made the comment during the broadcast, a little tongue-in-cheek, and said, um, if Eric Penny is not activated after this performance, I don't know what it will take. As of yet, Eric Penny has not been activated. But there's still time. Little side notes from that game on Saturday. Uh, Shout out Riley Hutchcroft who was able to get into his first National Lacrosse League game. And uh, I think he let the first shot in that he faced. Ended up giving up, uh, where are the stats there, Riley old Hutcher. Uh, gave up two goals. Faced 13 shots, played a whole fourth quarter. The Mimico kid. I was tweeting or texting with uh, Dylan Ward during that game. And uh, <laughs> he joked around and said, Riley must be absolutely crapping himself right now. And you could kind of see it. You could kind of see a little bit. But the kids settled down. Made some saves. Tried to push the tempo a little bit. So congratulations to Riley Hutchcroft again getting in to his first national lacrosse league game. Um, we don't know as of yet the full ramifications of all of the fights that happened In that game between Vancouver and Toronto, uh, Cliff Smith and Brody Merrill, Joel McCready and Brock Sorensen, Hostrauser and Suter, uh, three really good tilts. Uh, Cree and Hawksby went in the third quarter. It wasn't much of one Cree uh, doing more than Hawksby. Um, Actually, that was a pretty good fight now that I think about it. It was the Reinhold so-called try-and-fight roughing penalty that I was thinking about. Um, I would imagine that there's going to be some suspensions. Uh, the Suter, McCready, that whole shebang happened right at, right as the whistle blew. Um, so smart of them to wait until the whistle blew. But it'll be interesting to see who they deemed the second fight in that situation uh, because those players could be enforced with a uh, supplemental gross misconduct or match um, and find themselves suspended for being a part of the second fight during a stoppage. When I went back and looked at the footage, you can go to NLLTV.com and just skim up to about uh, one hour, three minutes, 40 seconds into the game, and you'll see uh, the Cliff Smith hit. Um, It was high. It was to the head. Kind of caught the rock player on the back of the helmet. But what's of note is Brody Merrill actually comes out the defensive gate Runs down the change area, knows that he's going to go, and he's only reason he stepped on the floor was to go fight Cliff. And he looks at Sawyer and says, I'm going. And Sawyer's not going to tell him not to. It's 15 to 1 at this point. And so Merrill steps right onto the floor, right down the bench, and just goes at Cliff Smith, drops the glove, says, Hey, buddy, we're going. Kudos to Cliff for stepping in and or stepping up. And fighting Merrill. Uh, Cliff is a tough fighter. I think he's a lefty. If I remember correctly. Which often catches guys off guard. But uh, Merrill, Smith, they go down. Uh, Maybe you'll see a suspension to Cliff Smith for the major. uh, The high sticking major. Um, There's a whole bunch of instigators the league's going to have to go through. They are going to have a field day with that game. 
but what a crazy, crazy game. 17 goals and a half. That's a National Lacrosse League record. And like I said, everything just seemed to go in for the Toronto Rock that game. It was unbelievable. Two guys had 12 points, and, and Jonesy had 10. Hellier and uh, Schreiber each had 12, and Jonesy had 10. This is incredible. I could probably go on and talk all night about this game, but I shouldn't. Because it's in the past, we move on, and we look forward. But we can't quite look forward yet. There were two other games. Uh, Buffalo and Calgary uh, was a fantastic game, as was Saskatchewan and Georgia. Um, The Rush really seemed to have that game in control um, for most of it. Georgia, just another game where they didn't get a full 60 minutes. And this has been a a tough case for them. You know, what a defensive game. First of all, in that first quarter, uh, both goaltenders were incredible in that first. Kirky made 13 saves in the first. Poulin made 15. As both defenses shut the door in that first half. But then we started to see the rush get their feet wet, get the tires spinning a little bit, start spinning that ball. And once Shane Jackson tied things at two, four minutes in with a shorthanded goal, the rush rattled off three straight, and Georgia was never able to recover. We're going to speak with Evan Kirk momentarily, but I want to go back to the Buffalo game real quick. And one thing that uh, kind of caught me by surprise during that game was Troy Cordingly and Kurt Miloski just going flag happy in the first half. Now, it bring, it's sort of a double-edged conversation in that they're throwing the flags because they think the call is wrong. And so then we get the replay and we get the, the challenge and the referees goes and figure out if the call was right or the call was wrong and they make the decision. Obviously, referees can't get it right every single time. And that's why we have the procedure. But I just thought it was crazy to see literally goal, flag, challenge, play continues. Goal, flag, challenge, play continues. I think it was three or four in a row almost. But I think both coaches threw two challenges in the first quarter. If not two of, or three of four, you know what I mean. I'd never seen it before. But it just goes to show how important goals and games are these days. And when you know it's going to be a close battle, like that Buffalo-Calgary game was, you definitely want to make sure that every goal that's possible can go in. 11,800 in Buffalo, by the way. Just wanted to check that out as I was scrolling through the stat line. So back to the Saskatchewan-Georgia game where they announced... A crowd of 40, sorry, 3,700. 
It's kind of like Vancouver. It probably should be more. But it's kind of what you expect. And you just kind of have to live with it. And unfortunately, I don't see many things changing to help their attendance. But their play is getting better for the Georgia Swarm. Uh, Their power play is getting better. Overall, that whole team is starting to, you know, find their groove again. They just ran into an absolute buzzsaw that is the Saskatchewan Rush. And everyone, not everyone, there is a certain group of people, Tyson Geik, who keeps putting it out in the universe that it is possible that the Saskatchewan Rush run the tables and go 18-0. Well, for that to happen... They're going to have to go through the other team that is still yet to lose a game. And that is the 3-0 Colorado Mammoth. It is your National Cross League Twitter game of the week. Myself, John Gallant, Jamie Shuchuk will have the call from the Pepsi Center on Saturday. And I'm not sure I've been excited for a game like this in a while. And it's not too often that you get two 3-0 teams battling early on in the season. Well, I guess if they're 3-0, it's early on in the season. But this is this has implications. This is the first game to start the tiebreaker. It's to keep the undefeateds going. It's to remain at the top of the West and the top of the National Cross League. And it's a bit of a statement game. Because... It's the ever-potent Saskatchewan offense versus the continually stingy Colorado defense. And I, for one, cannot wait. So earlier in the day, I caught up with one of the participants in that game. He is one of the new members of the Saskatchewan Rush. He is goaltender Evan Kirk, the 2016 National Lacrosse League Goaltender of the Year. We'll be going up against the 2017 Goalie of the year in Dylan Ward and what should be a fantastic goaltender's duel. And when I caught up with Kirky, I asked him how he's enjoying his new club. Uh, it's good. I mean, it took me a little while to, to get used to, you know, the, the change, but uh, I'm really embracing it and, and feeling, you know, pretty comfortable with all the guys. It is, was, was it an easy transition? Because it's always hard for for any goaltender to stand behind a new defense, but what was the, what was, was it an easy transition for you? Yeah. I mean, it, it started off, uh, you know, a little, little tough. I mean, I would, you know, I, I'd been in a different club for, uh, you know, the better part of four years. So, you mm-hmm. know, change, change is always tough and you, you know, especially in the, in the game, you're around the, the guys a lot. So you're pretty close to them. But, um, you know, after the second week, I felt like I'd been there for, you know, for a couple of years, everybody's just so welcoming and, you know, excited to, Excited to have me there, so I, I fit well and, and got pretty comfortable pretty quickly. Obviously, it helps not having Mark Matthews shoot on you in a game. What makes him so special uh, as a pure natural shooter? Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I mean he's always been. You know he's always been good. You know growing up played against him and just. I, I don't even think he knows to be quite honest. I yeah. mean he's just you know he's born with with that talent. He's got that skill set. I mean he can you know throw that ball soft you know hard he he's, he does it all and i mean he's just such an unselfish player so um yeah i mean he's unbelievable everyone has talked about how unselfish that offense is and how quickly they move the ball and that's one thing i always marvel at is 
it doesn't ever sit in a guy's stick for too long. What makes that offensive group so good? Yeah, I mean, everybody talks about, you know, the rush's defense and not to downplay, you know, our D at all. But, I mean, you look at our O, and um, I, I just think they all work so hard. There's, you know, no Eagles on the team. There's no number one guy. And people could argue that and say Marquez and uh, might give me a kick in the butt for saying that he isn't. But, <laughs> you know, everybody's just so good. I was I was in warm-up in, in Georgia there, and I looked at Ty uh, Carlson. I was like, I'm getting lit up here. <laughs> You know, and, and you, you feel good. It's just every everybody's so good and, and so powerful, and um, they're just unselfish. They they move the ball. The ball is always hot, and you know it doesn't matter who scores and who gets the points. It's just everybody's happy to you know to be playing and winning games. Cadillac probably didn't have any uh, sympathy for you, having been through it the last few few years there in Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. He said, "Yeah, tell tell me about it. I'm I'm, I'm used to it." <laughs> How was your relationship with him? Because obviously. Uh, starting goaltenders and backups have to have a pretty strong relationship. How have you gotten along with uh, with Cadillac in your time there? Uh, I mean, we just you know fit right in together. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a really long time, played together. You know, played against each other for a long time, and I've had a lot of counterparts in you know my day through you know college and you know every team I could kind of um, ramble off. But you know, there's there's certain guys you really get along with, and Ty's definitely one of them. He's just you know happy. All, always funny, always joking around, you know, good to be around and, um, you know, gets you not thinking about the game and, and whatnot. It's good to get away from it mentally. And, and he's always that guy that's, you know, support, supportive and positive. And, um, no, it's good. We fit like a glove. Uh, that game in Georgia uh, was another classic matchup between two of the top teams in the National Lacrosse League, a, a game that uh, kind of went back and forth, but you guys were able to show your strength late in that game. That's always been a strength of the rush, is second-half performances. How did you feel about your play and, and your team's start to the year? Um, I, I think it was a little bit of a chess match. I know I know everybody was, you know, anticipating, you know, a high-scoring game. And I think when you get, you know, two really good teams together, or I guess that, that mentality of, you know, the that, you know, prequel to to last year type thing, Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think they're going to ramble off a lot of goals, but, you know, Pooley came in hot right off the bat, and I kind of looked down the other end and, you know, tried to, to match him the best that I could, and it was kind of who broke first. It was it was a really tight game and, you know, came out hot out of the gates, and, you know, they were putting on uh, really good effort and pushing the ball, and we kind of just did uh, did our job and stuck to our principles and, you know, even keel and, and came out with, like you said, a little little stint there. But I think overall, you know, we had a little bit of a lapse at, uh, at the end there, and I think typically that's, that's not like myself. I, I kind of get better as games gone on. I felt like I've kind of um, gotten worse as games gone on. So I think I need to try and, you know, personally figure that out. Um, but, you know, lucky we had the cushion that we did uh, late in the game. So Is that, that going to be a hard change for you, to th- you think, or is that just a mental thing? Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely a mental thing. I think, I think goalies, you know, 80% mental, right, if, if you're at <laughs> yeah. that. It really, it really is that you're at that, you know, that that level that of uh, competition. You, you know, you prove that you can do it. it. It's really just getting out there and not thinking and not doing it. So, or sorry, and, and doing it, but not thinking about, you know, the outcomes and all that sort of stuff. But it's always, it's always tough when, you know, there's a couple minutes left and um, you have a couple goals, right? Where you, yeah. can, you just get a vibe of uh, of the game. But but we need to clean that up because it makes a big difference. And uh, you know, when it comes to big you know, bigger games and, and games down the stretch, you know, we, we've got to have that adversity to kind of, you know, squash that and, you know, fight uh, fight through those. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you look at some of the scores this year in the National Cross League, uh, there have been some numbers put up by offenses, a couple over 20. Uh, you guys put up 24 in New England. Toronto's put up 20 on back-to-back weeks. What do you um, liken that to? Is that just an anomaly that teams are, teams are getting hot at right times? Is that the new ball? Or is it just a rare thing where offenses are having good nights? Um, I think I think it's a you know a collection of things. I think in the past, I'd say maybe five or six years, it's slowly gone up. I mean, I could be completely wrong stat-wise, but I just I just feel that you know the league has gotten so much better. Where you know you look around the the team. I mean, Georgia, for example, look at every offensive player on that team. Yeah. They're all they're all threats. They're all shooters. I mean, you go back to our team. You know, look at all the guys. They're, you know, you go back to that, you know, saying of a number one guy or a number two or three guy on that offense, everybody can be a number one, two guy on, you know, any given team. I just think that the skill sets, um, you know, just so deep on every team where it kind of allows uh, those guys to have, you know, get get more points. So, like, if one guy's, you know, covered, the next guy's open. Um, and I, I just think the game, the rule changes where, you know, the eight seconds – push the ball like there's there's just you know you got to drop it or you got a penalty you know it, it really forces the game and I was watching some film just seeing how you know back and forth a lot of these games are there's just so many opportunities to score and when you get such good players and the you know the skill level so high it just I just think that's the reason why so once there's a you know I think there's expansion I think you know it will water it down slightly and I still think there is a lot of guys to kind of fill those voids but I think just because every team is a powerhouse in, the, in their own regard. As a goaltender, um, I know you probably didn't watch much of that Toronto-Vancouver game live. You were, you were just finishing your game down in Georgia. But as a goaltender, do you feel bad um, and do you empathize with guys like Ty Belanger and Broda McDonald in that first half where just nothing was being hit by their body? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been there. Um, you know, every goalie has, and it's, it's definitely tough. And I don't I don't think that – you know, really showcases who they are and even, even Vancouver um, as a whole, you know, it's just one of those nights, you know, where things yeah. aren't going, going their way. I mean, you look back at, you know, when it was the, the Montreal game, I mean, there was, 32, yeah. you know, and it probably, you know, I, I don't know who it was against. I mean, you could probably tell me, but it was probably, yeah, yeah. you know, Calgary, it probably wasn't, a, you know, a great night for them. It's just those, those happen, you know, when, when teams are clicking, it goes their way, yeah. you know, and it was just, you know, cause you probably won't have that for another 10 years or so, right. It's just, no doubt. It's just such a rarity, but um, yeah, you, you, you definitely feel bad for someone because, you know, you could, you could be there and, and I'm sure I've been there in, in the past and <laughs> someone left me in that probably could have hung, they probably could have hung up 24. <laughs> well, so. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, you guys uh, make the trek to take on the Colorado Mammoth, a rematch of last year's West finals. Uh, what's the mindset of this group going in and, and, and knowing that, you know, yeah, undefeated is on the line, but obviously a, a win is more important. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't look at, you know, things like undefeated and, you know, stats, all that sort of stuff. You do, you just want to win. You just want to get better to be honest. Yeah. I mean, um, you want to have a good game and you want to, you know, you're traveling, um, you know, in, into their barn and, you know, you could see them down the road and it's a pretty substantial game, especially in, you know, in the West division and, yeah, I just I just want to play well and uh, you know kind of learn learn their team and and kind of get some you know some experience playing uh, in Colorado. I've only played there a few times, so just getting you know getting the vibe of uh, you know of that of that place. So I'll, yeah. I'll be in that area. So just you know just a good good game to be honest is just what I'm looking forward to and focusing on that uh, that process. 
a quality matchup between you and Dylan Ward. Uh, what do you like about Dylan's game, if you had to give him some positive critiques? Um, I mean, it's hard not to give him positive critiques. He's playing really well. I, I just I just think he's so, uh, you know, patient, right? He's uh, yeah. he's come a long way, and, uh, you know, Dill's, you know, they've had faith in him there, and he's 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 played really well, and he's doing some good things for uh, for them. And he, he just plays a solid, solid game, right? And that goes from the summer to the – to the winner, and I think that all comes from being from Orangeville. So, but, uh, <laughs> you're gonna throw that in there. Yeah, <laughs> if I, yeah. He, I mean, you just gotta look down the other end and, and try to do you know as, as good or better that uh, than he's doing, just because it's gonna be such a tight game, shot wise and um, skill wise. So you just gotta try and outmatch that that going, no matter who it is. Away from the floor, you're doing a lot of work with uh, the folks from Under Armour, and it's it's something that I've never really seen before in the National Cross League is the amount of guys who are getting quote-unquote personal endorsement deals for, from Under Armour. And I think it's fantastic. More guys using the same branded equipment, looking good, feeling good, and being taken care of uh, by the Under Armour family. How important is that to Under Armour to get quality guys under their stable? Uh, it, it's huge. I mean, you know, the league's gone through some changes in the, in the past couple of years. And um, knowing that we were going to kind of, you know, you know make that uh, assessment um, over the last couple of years, we, we kind of set that in, in plan for this year. But uh, to be honest, it, it's pretty easy to get guys to to want to sign on to a, yeah. uh, you know, a, a product like Under Armour just because it has you know, so many facets to the game. It's not only in lacrosse, it's outside um, of lacrosse. So um, I know most of the guys were wearing it uh, without a contract. So, you know, trying to get those guys on board, like I said, was was pretty easy and we're super happy to have, know who we have right now we've got 62 athletes in in the nll um and we're and we're trying to make a big push um to get involved and do as much as we can um you know with those with those guys so they're all um you know picked for a reason and you know happy they've they've done such a great job and um, you know we're really excited to have everybody on board well when the league looks good the players do as well kirky uh keep up the great work my friend it's always a pleasure to catch up with you uh, great start to the season. Hopefully you get a little bit less luck Saturday night, but uh, I wish you all the best in a, in a great game against the Mammoth. Sounds good. I appreciate it. That's Evan Kirk of the Saskatchewan Rush, goaltender. And as I said, the 2016 National Lacrosse League Goaltender of the Year. He and Dylan Ward uh, will go head-to-head in a battle of goaltenders who lead the National Lacrosse League in goals against average. Ward, 8.67. Kirk, 9.67. Both played equal minutes. Wardo has 14 more saves and given up three less goals than his counterpart, Evan Kirk. But both guys have a good familiarity with each other. Both guys know each other's style and know each other quite well. It might happen to be because they're from Orangeville. Huh. Evan Kirk's birthday is the day before mine. I had no idea. July 22nd, shout out Leo's. Actually, yeah, he is a Leo. Full blown. Nice. I like him even more. Tangent. Um, Back to the goaltenders. Uh, This is two goalies who are at the peak of their career. And they've gone about their transition into the National Cross League differently. For Evan Kirk... He had to spend some time working his way into the National Lacrosse League. Split time when he was in Minnesota. Started to become a full-time guy in Philly. 
And then once he once the team moved, he was the guy. Actually, ever since he got to the Wings, Black Wolves franchise, he's become the number one guy. So it took him a little while, two years. But now he's an everyday starter, an all-pro, and a goalie of the year recipient. Dylan Ward, four years younger than Evan Kirk. Also a goal of the year, also an all-pro. However, he was third overall in 2013. And his stats, well, he has been the guy in Colorado ever since he got there. He was given the number one job in 2014. And strangely enough, his goals against numbers have fluctuated every year he's been in the league, which is kind of odd. He was 11.6 call it his first year. Then it inflated to 12.5. Dropped to 10.3 in 2016. Last year, the year he won goal goalie of the year, he actually had a worse goals against average at 10.89. And now he's at a paltry 8.67. He is the best goalie in the league as it stands. But Evan Kirk will be right there standing tall at the other end of the floor. Not quite as tall as Dylan Ward, but tall enough. Now, for Colorado to be successful and to win this game this weekend, they are going to need to find a way to slow down the number two scoring offense in the National Cross League based on goals four. They have 54 goals in three games. Colorado will need to stay out of the penalty box, which they're pretty darn good at. But they must play aggressive, but keep their sticks in lanes because I have yet to see a team move the ball as well as Saskatchewan does. It's incredible to watch how quickly that group moves the ball. Colorado has gotten better this year at moving the ball offensively. Hence why they've been so successful out the front door. But with a quarterback like Mark Matthews, to watch that offense is just incredible. So Colorado's defense, which doesn't care that it has no Dan Coates and no Cam Holding. They miss him. They wish they had him. But they have moved on and they are playing Incredible defense. Pat Coyle's system is phenomenal. Dylan Ward steps up and plays his game, which allows that defense to play the way it does. The defense is really kind of built around Dylan Ward's game style. And when you watch and you closely watch, not just kind of gaze your eyes and just see what goes on. When you watch how intricate that defense plays and the adjustments they make in-game, it's why teams have had such troubles against them this year. And Coyle is going to have to devise a strategy to limit the opportunities that the Rush have. You have to make sure you're picking up loose balls in your own zone. That is a massive key. You cannot afford to give the rush second and third resets. Not only will your D get tired, but it just gives them more opportunities to pepper the ball. They need to take care of the ball in transition. Take the opportunities when they're there. 
But if it's not, pull out, let your offense do their thing. I'm really excited for this game on Saturday night. I hope you are too because it's such a wild, wild game. And it could be, I don't think it's going to be, but it could be a 17-15 kind of game. It could also be a classic 9-8 game. If they get to 20 goals, either of the teams, it will be the fifth time this year that it has happened. The 20-goal plateau was only hit five times last year in its entirety. And we didn't get the first 20-goal game until January 21st when Buffalo beat Vancouver 21-15. And yet already in the first four weeks of the season, we've had it four times. I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I don't want to say it's the signature balls because then everybody should be scoring 20 goals. However, there has to be something to it. There has to be a reason why teams are just blistering their opponents some nights. It could be great goaltending, or sorry, not so great goaltending. It could be great coaching. It could be great shooters. But this used to be a league where, you know, you could say, combined, you'll find yourself in the mid-20s worth of goals between the two teams. Now we're looking at 30-plus a game. That's a staggering number that if we're going to start averaging, if the average of goals per game per t- or between the two teams is going to increase, not only are they going to need a lot of red lights, but that is going to help propel numbers record-wise. And I didn't think we would see a year in the near future where a year like Dane Smith had a couple years ago. I still don't think that's going to happen. However, when you have three guys on one team putting up double-digit numbers in one game, then you might start thinking that it's possible for guys to maybe start pushing at numbers. Currently... Adam Jones is averaging seven points per game, which would give him 126 to end the year. That's not bad. And everybody's numbers seem to be up. Look at all the guys that are already in the 20s, just three and four games in. This phenomena, I don't even want to call it phenomena, this staggering scoring surge might cause concern for some people. I don't know why. I just think that it might. Everybody loves goals, except defenses and goaltenders. So teams are going to have to start to hone some of their tactics because... 
you're not going to have a lot of success when you're giving up those kind of numbers. We always said that 12 was the magic number for defenses. Well, maybe that number is going to get start to push like 15 for some teams. And the crazy thing is, and that's kind of what we said about New England and Georgia the past few years, or sorry, Georgia mostly, is that their offense had to be that good because their defense wasn't as good. So their defense was maybe giving up 13, 14 goals per game, but their offense had to be scoring and was scoring 16 or 17 a game. Well, maybe that's the direction that the, this league is going. Obviously, don't tell that to guys like Dylan Ward and Matt Vince and Evan Kirk. But it's something to keep your eye on. Keep your eye on the amount of goals that are going in. And if you get a chance, grab a signature ball. And if you get a chance, compare it to an Under Armour ball. And then compare it to a ball, like a Warrior ball from four years ago. Just tell me what you notice. And then we'll talk about it later. Deal? Deal. Terrence Foy, his friends call him Terry, wrote an article on Inside Lacrosse about lacrosse in the 2028 Olympics. Now, we've had the conversation on this show before about lacrosse going through the steps properly to make it into a future Olympic Games. And he feels that 2028, when the Olympics will be back in Los Angeles, is the perfect spot for lacrosse to make its return. And if you go to Inside Lacrosse, you can find the articles. Yeah, I've tweeted the article out a couple times. I also tweeted out um, a couple other articles that he had posted that just kind of have some correlation to the article. And he reiterates the points that um, people have been telling me that have a bit of inside knowledge. And that is that the lacrosse you see today, indoor or outdoor, will not be the lacrosse that you see when lacrosse makes a return to the Olympics. The Olympic form of lacrosse will go the way of rugby sevens. It will be a modified version, a much more sped up version, a condensed version. And I think that for the purpose of the Olympics, it's great. Because the Olympics is all about fan engagement and appealing to the masses. Not that the current games and styles don't, but it's going to have to adapt. It's going to be on half fields or shortened fields. It's going to be like seven or eight aside. Um, you can expect, and these are a couple points that uh, Mr. Foy brought up, that though it would be some form of a shot clock, that they may not allow long poles, which I think is a great idea. Uh, there would be no offsides. And I'm saying this because most likely it's going to be the outdoor game that makes it to the Olympics, not the indoor game. So, do you like the idea of, let's call it, 
a fourth form of high-level lacrosse. Men's and women's would essentially play the same style of game, uh, the same field, the same lines, the same general rules. The discussion of helmets has come up, um, but as Tifoy says, that as long as men's sticks have pockets and you can fire the ball over 100 miles an hour, they're going to be wearing helmets. But it is a very... Um, eye-opening discussion. And as he points it out, one that maybe not a lot of people are taking as serious as they should. And not only is the discussion, you know, going to be ma- had, it's currently happening. Because look at the steps the IOC or that the FIL has already done. These are linear steps, as Foy calls them, for towards IOC recognition. They adopted WADA, the world's anti-doping agency policies. They joined the Sport Accord. And the third was acceptance into the International World Games. And that happened last year when women's lacrosse was in Poland at the World Games. And so, as he points out, the next stage is for the FIL to receive IOC recognition. And that could happen as early as this year. And so, if it gets accepted and recognized by the IOC, then we better start putting the wheels in motion to figure out what kind of game we're going to play. And you can't just create a new version of the game and make it take off. We're not all Casey Powell, and this isn't speed lacrosse. Although it's pretty darn fun. We're going to have to sit down with governing bodies and people who are decision makers that truly are going to be able to have an open and honest discussion about it. And we're going to have to come to a decision of what kind of lacrosse is going to be played, what rules, what style, what field, what equipment. And then we're going to have to basically create New players to, to, to fit this mold. Yes, obviously the current demographic of players playing international lacrosse will most likely be able to make the adjustment. But it's not easy. You're not, you know, look at rugby sevens. The differentiation between players who play 15s and seven is massive. They're finding specialized players. Perry Baker was an Olympic track star. And all of a sudden, he was handpicked by USA Rugby Sevens to say, hey, how about this? We're going to throw you a ball. And all you got to do is beat like one or two guys and sprint down the field and score us a, touch, score us a try. I almost said touchdown. Now, lacrosse is a little different because the stick and the hand-eye coordination and the intricacies involved may not make it as easy to, you know, handpick players to come and play lacrosse sevens call it but we're gonna see different style of lacrosse players when this whole process forms i'm really intrigued by it and it's the great discussion uh, that terry foy brought up again you go to inside lacrosse um, and find his articles Uh, lacrosse will be in the 2028 olympics changing the sport in huge unforeseen ways 
And then uh, there's an article in the December issue with Jim Schur on lacrosse's Olympic movement. Uh, Jim Schur is a former U.S. Olympic Committee CEO, and he became the FIL's first CEO in May. And so his job is going to be crucial to the growth of lacrosse and the movement of lacrosse towards the Olympics. So uh, head over to Inside Lacrosse and check out those two articles. Like I said, I posted them on Twitter, um, at Off the Crossbars, where you can find me. So um, go check them out because it's a discussion that needs to be had. It's going to be had. It's currently being had. And before you know it, there is going to be a new version of lacrosse that is going to sort of be dropped on the world and everyone's going to have to adapt. It's coming. It's coming. And since it's a new year, what's coming is technically summer lacrosse. And some news came out from out west that I can share with you. Uh, The Junior Bellies have a new coaching staff led by none other than the original Big Cat. No offense, Kevin Crowley. Richie Catton is going to be the new New Westminster Salmon Bellies head coach. And uh, I've known Cat for a few years. And we played together one season or two seasons in Victoria. Won a, um, a man cup with him. He has played for the New Westminster Salmon Bellies. He's won a man cup. He's won an NLL championship. Uh, he was formerly coaching the Junior Bellies as an assistant. He is now their new head coach, and he'll be joined by Sheldon Powdor and Darren Fridge, which will be an interesting trio. All three guys I'm very familiar with. All three guys I have a great relationship with. And I'm interested to see how they become a cohesive coaching staff. Fridgey is a brilliant offensive coach. Sheldon was a great goaltender back in the day. Played NLL as well as WLA. And Richie is a very, very intense and intelligent defensive-minded coach. I'm very happy for all three of those guys. They they all deserve it. Um, I was, and I think most people, we're caught off guard by Fridge joining the staff. He's uh, currently scouting with the Rush. Uh, he's been involved with the Maple Ridge Berards forever and a day. Uh, so this was a bit of a interesting name drop by the Bellies, but congratulations to the Junior Club for getting their three new coaches. Staying out west, the Western Lacrosse Association announced the 2018 draft. It will be coming up in a few months, actually not even a few months, just a month, February 6th, 2018. You can watch it live on the WLA website, and you may be able to write this one in pen. The Langley Thunder, with the first overall pick in the 2018 draft, select from the newest Minster Junior Salmon Bellies, Connor Robinson. Now, of course... I could be wrong, and Langley may not have the first overall pick due to trades, but that seems most likely. So, February 6th, WLALacrosse.com. The draft will be at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, the other W, sorry, Western news that kind of popped out the other day 
was that uh, Jeff Shatler is going to be playing summer lacrosse out west for the senior B Nanaimo Timmerman. The T-Man will be hosting the President's Cup this year out in the Hub City. And to bolster their, bolster their chances and their attack, they added the Man Cup winning Jeff Shatler. Not a bad addition. The P-Cup goes at the end of August into early September. All games will be up in Nanaimo. And we'll have more information about all that as we get closer. But that was just some news that uh, I saw on my feed the other day. So I thought I would pass it along to you. Other than that, there's not much going on. I lied. There's a ton going on. This is uh, the great spot in the National Lacrosse League season as we kind of wind our way into the meat of the season. The New Year's here. The second week of the New Year is upon us. And we have five games. One Friday, Rochester at Toronto. Rochester, a tough, tough weekend this week. They play back-to-back Friday, Saturday against the Rock and then at home against the Black Wolves on Saturday. Also on Saturday, as mentioned, Vancouver at Buffalo. Georgia is at Calgary. And your game of the week, live on Twitter, Saskatchewan at Colorado. Again, I will have the call alongside Jamie Shuchuk and John Gallant. Hopefully we'll interact then. Until then, thanks to Evan Kirk and thanks to you for stopping by, giving us some time as you do each and every week. My name is Teddy Jenner. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email. Find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossBar. Let me know. Lacrosse the Olympics. Seven aside, yay or Until then, be excellent to each other.